Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. <laughs> to another episode of surviving chick flicks we're back i'm john i'm sammy i'm joseph do we even remember how to do this no <laughs> our last re- our last episode that made it because we did one after carlito's way but it's gone forever uh but which kind of makes this a bit episode actually because like the sanderson sisters we've been gone for a very long time we have someone lit a black flame candle our ed- uh, and put it under the fire of under the ass of our editor and <laughs> got, got, a lazy asshole. I don't know if y'all have noticed that, but y'all can edit this show anytime you want. <laughs> I'm just going to remind you of that we didn't say who the editor was, John. Jeez, John Joseph and I are the talent. I think we've established this. Uh huh. Talent's a loose word. Anyway, moving on, <laughs> moving swiftly forward. Um, so uh, this is our Halloween episode. We were going to do a month, and then we got behind, and life got in the way. So you get one. You get one. Enjoy it. This is for you, people. This is for you. And all five. Uh, <laughs> this is for all five of you. You know who you are. But uh, uh, in a month that actually gave us a bunch of different... Uh, options and at least one of those options we did watch together um we decided we were going to go uh the path of least resistance and possibly the the path the path of less screaming uh hocus pocus 2 which uh speaks premiered on this oh yeah that's true (laughs) that's fair um which uh two of us watched together sorry joseph you we cheated on you I'm used to that. It's okay. So, on, do what? I've made peace with it. You really shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> so, uh, why don't we pause? Because I, I think this is what we do. I think we pause. We play the trailer, and then uh, the yelling begins. So, that's usually how it works whenever I pick a movie. So, we'll see. I banish thee from Salem. <laughs> Forever. They were right to fear thee. Magic has a way of uniting. Happy 16th birthday, child. I have a gift for my favorite customers. Legend has it, it's on the 16th birthday that a witch gets her powers. Where did you get that candle? 
have to get out of here. The witches will be here any second. Ah! The, the book is alive. He woke up. <gasps> oh! If we intend to live past sunrise, we have to steal their souls. Whoa, 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 wait. Can we talk about this? No. <laughs> we must fly. Freak out. The eventual maniac obsessed with getting revenge on Salem. Sounds very bad for Salem. We should get some salt. Why? So we taste better when they eat us? Spread out. Six feet under. Stop! I am a good zombie. All right, Hocus Pocus Two, starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker. Kathleen Jimmy, Sam Richardson, Doug Jones, Whitney Peak, Melissa Escobedo, Lila Buckingham, with Tony Hale and Hannah Waddingham, directed by Ann Fletcher. Yeah. Right. So uh, for the listeners, I joined a gym recently, and people were watching shit on like the treadmill and the elliptical, and I'm I'm just like, how do you do that and not die? <laughs> it's called coordination, John. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Pro tip, uh, I always watch Survivor when I work out mm-hmm. because it motivates me and it makes me realize things could always be worse. That's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah. We, we, we should discuss that with our friend Kobe, who was on the show. <laughs> uh, so, Sammy, um, when did you watch this movie as if I don't know? I actually remember it this time. Um mm-hmm. In true Sammy fashion, I was very, very late to our friend Sandy's house where we uh, she'd set up a fire and we all watched it outside. We watched half of it outside and then it got to the point where even I was cold and we moved that shit inside. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Sammy and I, we went to a house, uh, Hocus Pocus 2 uh, party on the day this thing dropped. So... We were there from the beginning, man. <laughs> but here's the real question that I want to know from y'all. Mm-hmm. What? When did you see the first film? Oh, God, I don't remember. Oh. That. Uh, I know it was on VHS, and I know it was a new rental. That, that uh, I, I don't, that is the best I can tell you. And I saw it once, and my opinion then was yeah i remember watching it a lot as a kid because when did the first one come out um glad you asked because <laughs> i have notes uh 1993 it, oh so yeah i was not i was like eight years old when it came out so yeah. it was right age like i said i enjoyed it but i was never like a huge fan of it but i remember watching it quite did it come out in theaters? Yes, yes it, it did. did. Um, it came out 
at the same time as a movie about a boy and his whale. It came out the same weekend as Free Willy. Oh, so we got dominated by Free Willy. Actually, I have in my hands (laughs) the weekend domestic chart for July 16th, 1993 from Box Office Mojo. This movie debuted at number four. It hmm. beat Free Willy by... Oh, yeah, wow. It, yeah, it beat Free Willy for, by about... Mm, three million? People just talked about Free Willy more back then instead of Hocus Pocus. I don't... Yeah. Why am I not surprised that John knows this? Because it's on a piece of paper in my hand that I printed out three days ago. <laughs> Granted, I was like two... When yeah. this film came out. So I didn't even know what movies were, I don't think. Yeah. Would you like to hear the three movies that beat Hocus Pocus on its opening weekend? Yes, let's hear it. All right. At number three, Jurassic Park. Well, that, that's a given, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jurassic Park was in its second week and brought in $10.8 million. It was down 29% from the previous week. Uh, oh, yeah. at, oh, at number two in, uh, I believe it's third week, was In the Line of Fire, the Clint Eastwood movie. That I still, still haven't seen. I hear I, it's very good. I know John Malkovich plays a bad guy. You know, a stretch. Wow, that joke died. And at number one <laughs> in its, uh, I believe, second weekend, uh, The Firm. Really? Yeah. Now that I think about it, Honestly, this this new film kind of tracks the the old film because if you think about it, nobody really knew who anybody in that original film was other than the three witches. Like none of that main cast was big name. Well, a couple of them went on to be named actresses. Um, I, I am blanking on her name. Oh, Vanessa Shaw was in it. She was one. She was the older girl, and most notably for me, she was uh, the prostitute uh, Tom Cruise didn't sleep with in Eyes Wide Shut. She's been in other movies, but that's the most important one to me. Uh, The little girl, Stora Birch, she would go on to be in American Beauty, Ghost World. She had kind of of her career for a while. And then, of course, Billy Butcherson, Doug Jones, he do what? Nothing, that's not where I thought you were going. Yeah. And then Doug Jones, you know, he's pretty well known as, you know, if you need a tall, lanky guy to do some makeup, that's who you call. Because um, he does a lot of shit with Guillermo del Toro. He was in uh, the movie Legion, which is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and apparently he's like also on the side, like a professional singer. And, like, has, like, an angelic voice. Would not have known that. Yeah. He also is under, you know, pounds and pounds of latex and scares the living shit out of you. <laughs> Sometimes he has eyes on the palms of his hands. Well, you say, he's, he's really good. He's a really good actor, uh, especially mm-hmm. in makeup. Yeah. So, uh, I remember everyone is... talking about Zachary Binks. Making his career on um, NCIS, which I didn't know till long after I'd stopped watching that show that he was on that show. Mm. And then somehow it got around on like a meme 
Well, to be fair, everyone who's ever been in anything is he has either been in NCIS or a Law and Order. You didn't know it, but they were there. But he's like a main reoccurring character. Alexander Hamilton was on a Law and Order. Moving on. So, (laughs) boring history lessons. So, it's kind of a miracle we have this movie. Because I kind of would like to equate this movie to Blade Runner 2049. And I'm not necessarily comparing the two in terms of quality. Not to show my hand. Um, But just the fact that... The fact that we have a sequel to this movie at all is kind of amazing because the original was a box office bomb. It debuted in the summer, not the winter, not me, not the fall, where it would have made sense. (laughs) This was was a summer release. But it became enough of a cult classic that somehow through fan demand, we managed to get a sequel whether we needed it or not. And this and the difference between the two is we don't have five cuts of uh, fucking Hocus Pocus. <laughs> True. Well, and it, yeah, because that's become a pretty good big trend lately is like find a cult classic that didn't do great, but people love and try to make a sequel out of it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But we've had some really good stuff come out of it. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I guess calling it a bomb is more of a technically dis- incorrect. Yeah, because I mean, it made it, it brought in forty five point four million on a twenty eight million dollar budget, which is technically a bomb because you basically need to double, if not triple, your budget back before you start getting your movie into profit. So. But over the years, with the sales and everything, it's probably made its money. Yeah. And, um, especially so, ice. I, I would honestly like point the blame or you know give the credit to channels like ABC Family because this was a Halloween staple on there in kind of oh, the yeah. same way that for them the Harry Potter movies are Christmas movies. Um, but... ABC Family, I feel like, kind of breathes life into this movie because this could have been one of those forgotten things that just, you know, occasionally pops up now and then in like a, hey, remember when we did this thing? Yeah, it would have been like one of those where they kind of release a Blu-ray of it, but, you know, it's like, hey, here you go for the five people. It definitely, but I don't, I, I don't, I feel like millennials would not have let this film die. Okay, but millennials uh, love a goofy movie, and you can only get that on Blu-ray from Disney with no special features. Disney saw enough potential after years of this movie being on TV to give it, like, proper releases, and now we have, like, cosplayers and fan events uh, for this movie. I mean, they got a TV special, which re- reunited the three. If you so, would add that, like, whenever I was watching it at eight, I'd be like, no, nobody's going to remember this movie, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, John, our, like, resident Google specialist, my, my thought, or, like, the impression I was getting, is that, honestly, a large part of the credit for why this, this sequel happened should go to Bette Midler. Oh yeah, she was pushing for it. Okay, 
maybe a little in the most recent years, but I'm talking about between 1993 and maybe the last 10 years. Because Bette Midler could probably has enough juice to push whatever she push for whatever she wants, but not every movie she touched turned to gold, and not every film that she was in has the fan base that this movie has. You know, we don't have you know fan events for The Rose or Down and Out in Beverly Hills or that movie she made with Woody Allen. I've forgotten about Down and Out in Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked up her career because I was just like, how many movies of Bette Midler's have I actually seen? And she had this like really cool run in like the mid uh, mid to late 80s and uh, early 90s where it was like a quite a few like edgy or at least edgy for the times comedies, you know, like Down and Out in Beverly Hills, uh, Ruthless People. She did Big Business with Lily Tomlin. Um, I actually watched she, it long ago. It's actually not bad. Yeah. Um, but and she and, and of course you know she did movies that showcased her other talent, which is singing. Uh, you know, The Rose being the her first, basically the movie that made her uh, a movie star because uh, she has like some uncredited roles as like girl in the part at the party in the '60s. But um, you know, The Rose, which is basically a loose. Uh, biopic of not Janis Joplin at all. Uh, <laughs> um, that was kind of her big break. Um, and then she did a, like, another music biopic in the early 90s called For the Boys. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And of course, her big, her probably her biggest movie, and God, audience, feel free to correct me. Gays, gays if you'll listen, if you're listening, correct me. I think her biggest movie is Beaches, to be honest. You might be yeah, right. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Because not only was the movie kind of a hit, but it also had one of the two songs that's forever burned in my brain of hers that I, 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 I could, if I could forget, I would. Uh, when, but that's where Wind Beneath My Wings came from. Also, if I, if I live in... The rest of my life, I never heard from a distance again. I, I would live a long, happy life. I, but um, but Midler's began basically as a singer and kind of a show tunes like singer. She did uh, had a stage show where she mix, mixed music and comedy, and she would do songs like Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Um, but also, n- not only did a lot of people not go to see this movie in 1993, um, would you like to venture a guess uh, how the critics felt about Ye Olde Original? They hated it. <laughs> oh. I'm going to guess probably along the same lines as when we get to the segment. Um, you know, our, our bestie Roger Ebert felt about it, but... Uh, well, before, before we get to Roger and Gene, because I was able to get Siskel and Ebert's uh, reviews of this. I'm going to take Joseph's uh, spot for just a moment. Would anyone love to venture a guess at what the critical score on Rotten Tomatoes is for the original Hocus Pocus? I want to say 25%. Sammy, you want to guess? I'm going to go with 48. 48? 
A little lower. It is 39% based on 59 reviews. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gene Siskel gave this movie one star. He remarked that it was a that the film was a dreadful witch's comedy with only the mo- with the only tolerable moment coming when Bette Midler presents a single song. But Ooh. would you like to guess what Roger had to say? How many stars out of four? I want to say one and a half. Two Jamie? and a half. Oh, both of y'all are too high. He gave. He also gave this movie one star. Uh, <laughs> he said. He said it was a confusing cauldron in which there is great activity but little progress and a lot of hysterical shrieking. <laughs> is that you complete- know, okay. Oh. How many times though have how many times have critics been wrong and missed out on what has become like cult classics? Okay, the the honest answer and I, and I hate saying this and I have and I'm staring at on my shelf one example of this. But the honest the exa- example is never. Critics, you know, voice their opinion, and their opinion is of the times. You, they have the ability to reverse that opinion, and also time can change opinion as well. But you have to remember, this was probably the fourth movie they saw in a single day and had to fire something out quickly to meet the deadline. Also, they were wrong about the thing. John Carpenter's yeah. The Thing. Everyone hated that movie, and it is now like a truly beloved classic. I'm going to, uh, to not show my hand on how I feel about either of these films, but just state st- fact for me, I think The Thing is a better movie than Hocus Pocus. <laughs> and totally different category, but I'd be curious to go back and see what like critics' Rotten Tomato scores are on Mean Girls. I think Mean Girls, they were honestly really kind to, or like, I remember that one being beloved, not just by audiences, but, but critics as well. Like, it was a very well-liked movie. You're, you would probably want to go back to something like Heathers. And even that, I, I think at least, I know Roger Eber gave that like a three and a half. Well, they have the, uh, they have the right to be wrong. They're not wrong, nor are they right. It's just opinion. It's not law. Something I have to appreciate about this is, like, all three of those women and their, like, the fact that they're embracing a role that defined them, because so many actors and actresses, particularly if they did a role when they were a child, do everything they can to separate themselves from that defining role. And we all know Sarah Jessica Parker does not have an issue capitalizing on her most, like, defining roles. What are you but... talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and, and like that was not done for money. It was done totally for love. Right. <laughs> and call it fan service. Call it fan service. Call it whatever you want. You know, I, I think fan service gets, like, a negative connotation when... The truth is, there's nothing wrong with fan service. It's got its time and place. The fans are the people that catapult you to where you are. Yes, so, but at the same time, Rise of Skywalker was nothing but fan service with very little new, and it got eaten alive by Star Wars fans. Also, okay, uh, well, uh, but also people are but never happy. Also, Last Jedi did things new. 
and people ate it alive. <laughs> so remember the magical words, franchise fan, ha- uh, franchise film did something new, don't like. Franchise film did more of same, don't like. No one's happy. And I actually enjoyed both of those movies. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed Last Jedi. Was that the second one? Yes. Yeah, that was. The yeah, that was my favorite. Um, and people can say whatever they want about that. I liked it. Um. And you send your emails to Sammy at. <laughs> so, uh, Doctor Google over there. So, given the fact that like these three women really embraced and kind of pushed this film forward, was there any indication? Like, what I'm really curious about is. The fact that they went so far afield and took this so far away from the original story and didn't have any of the original characters except for the three women and Billy, is that because the other original cast did not want to be involved? Or was that a creative decision that they wanted to write something new? Okay, I don't have definitive concrete answer. What I can assume is that for some of them... um, For some of them, I can't imagine their schedules were so filled that they just couldn't make time for this film. Um, I I do think that probably somewhere in the creative process, they did reach out to people. They either said yes or no. Or the writers wanted to make make a hocus pocus for a new generation. I, I And focus on that new generation because... They, yeah, they brought back the Sanderson sisters and they brought back uh, Billy. But did we need any of the others? No, I, and we, I would argue no. No, because their story wrapped up. Yeah, the only ones, only things, the only ones that that people wanted to see back were the Sanderson sisters. That's yeah, those were that was the draw. Everything mm-hmm. else could have been recast. Yeah, it would be like making a, a movie about, uh, I don't know, say, just for example, Michael Myers, and then not putting Michael Myers in that movie for the majority of the time. <laughs> just to rile the internet up. But I was glad to see that uh, Doug Jones came back as his character, because I like yeah. Doug Jones. Yeah, because honestly, and honestly, the only other character that you could have brought back, that, but even that wouldn't make sense, was uh, the, the, the dead boy as a cat. The best character. But his storyline resolved at the end. There was no point to bringing him back. There really wasn't. You would just be bringing him back just for the hell of it. Yeah. It would be like bringing back Luke Skywalker. But we'll we'll get to that. All right. What would be the point? No, we're going to do this now. What would be the point of him coming back? The whole original movie, his soul was trapped in a cat. And at the end of the movie, whenever they defeated the Sanderson sisters, he was able to move on to the afterlife with his sister. Okay. I guess his story was I done. Will, I will I will get to my opinion on reboots at the end. But I will address this. This isn't a reboot, it's a sequel. The be- sequels, reboots, whatever you want to call them. The benefit of <laughs> the benefit of doing something in the fantasy and magic realm is that there are no, like, there are no boundaries. Like, 
you you have the rules don't necessarily exist in reality. There's a million different ways you could do it. Technically, you could argue that at the end of the first movie, the Sanderson sister story was dead. It was complete. They had been killed effectively, but they found a way, which might I add, that was like one of the biggest things I was curious about was how they were going to bring them back. And I thought they did a really, I thought it was really smart how they did yeah. that. So, like, so you wanted a, a writer to, it, you so know? you wanted the writers to magically yeet someone out of heaven? <laughs> Why yeah, not? But that's the point. <laughs> you do it. The, the writers magically yeeted these witches back from the dead that exploded into sparkly dust. Also, that char- the actor that played that character is like 30 years older. <laughs> That's true. You're telling me That's he funny. ages in heaven? <laughs> you don't have to see him. He's a cat. You just have to hear his voice. Why, why, it was he, why was his soul removed from the afterlife to be put back into a cat again? Once again, why were these witches that exploded into sparkly dust after turning to stone suddenly magically um, brought back from whatever realm that they were evil. Some, bull- some bullshit about a candle. <laughs> exactly. I guess that's my point. Like these, these one of my favorite favorite things about like these supernatural shows that I watch, like whether whether it's supernatural, vampire diaries, whatever, is that when a character dies you always have a little bit of hope that they're not really dead because the truth is no matter how they die, the writers could always legitimately find a way to bring them back. Well, I mean, at the end of Star Trek two, spoiler alert for Star Trek two, uh, Spock died and they yeeted him to yeeted his corpse to a planet that, uh, also was, uh, put through a Genesis effect, literally. And, uh, (laughs) He spent most of the, the third film as a child. <laughs> he did. <laughs> exactly. When you're dealing in the realm of fantasy and magic and supernatural, really the rules of reality don't exist. I'm just saying there's still no point to bringing back the cat or the kid. I agree with John. Besides, we have these new characters that were amazing and made, left this you know, great impression on me. <laughs> I don't remember any of them. <laughs> yeah, with the main, of course, of course. I've got to say, too, by the way, what's y'all's opinion on this? The biggest difference to me is that the movie, the original film, is very quintessentially 90s. Down to, like, the tie-dye and, and the way they talked and the, like, the subject matter of the show I mean, the movie was darker, like it was a darker show, whereas this was extremely Gen Z and millennial. It was all teenage well, drama. Well, to be fair, they were documenting the time in which the movie was made. Right. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. But it's not like a throwback 80s uh, film where everything is day glow and neon, when in real- reality it was kind of beige and wood paneled <laughs> to quote to quote a meme so what did y'all think about how they uh come came back into their characters the sanderson sisters so i thought they did a really good job it's yeah like- i mean I, I thought they did fine and i was actually kind of cool with the way they were brought back of course i've seen characters brought back from the dead far in far stupider ways i mean 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the way they bring back Freddy in part four is still... A dog pisses on the corpse and... Yeah. (laughs) That is not how it happens. It is how it happens. Oh, my God. The dog pisses fire onto the skeleton of Freddy Krueger, and he's alive again. You're kidding. I wish. You just roll with it. And 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 also up with that. Um, I believe his name is Michael. No, wait. Um, wasn't part four written by Brian Helgeland, who wrote L.A. Confidential? I think so, but don't. And in his defense, he was he wrote it in like it was really Harlan, but he. He wrote it in like six days because of writers build rules. I yeah, think it was a sh- and they were still from what I understand, they were still fixing the movie without writing it during the writer's strike. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it, that's how it happened. They're just like, just have a dog piss fire or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Sammy, while you're sitting there, um just kind of still mouth mouth a geek, you know, surprise Pikachu face about <laughs> that, that just know part four is not the worst nightmare on Elm Street film. For once, I'm gonna agree with you, John, um, and say that this was not the dumbest way they've ever brought back characters. Yeah, well, yeah, but also, I mean, their curse was tied to the black flame candle, and a virgin had to light it. So, um, which uh, points for uh, Disney uh, for them uh, trying to creatively. Uh, make the joke of uh, what's a virgin? <laughs> um. By the way, just side note that has started a lovely TikTok, uh, not trend, but I've seen several videos of moms discussing how they watch this film with their kids without thinking about it, because you know it was the '90s when we all watched it. So I don't know if kids knew what it was, but I remember knowing what it was, and. <laughs> And one mom in particular, who her child kept asking her mom, what's a virgin? What's a virgin? <laughs> it's a record she, company. <laughs> she couldn't think of what to say. So I think she told her kid, somebody who's never had a hug. And cause she didn't think like the other smart moms who all said somebody who's never lit a candle before. <laughs> and, and they hopped on this train real quick and they got smart about it. So this little kid... Of course, has to go in immediately the next day, and mom's right behind him at school drop off. Runs up to his teacher and says, "Miss Jones, Miss Jones, um, are you a virgin?" And to which mom um, very, very kindly uh, turns and and walks out of the room as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I may have created this mess, but I'm not going to be here to clean it up. <laughs> I mean. That's not the worst mom story I've heard about this movie, which I'm sure we'll get to later. So, uh, new characters. Um, We have Becca, who's an aspiring witch, and it's her 16th birthday. uh, And played by Whitney Peake, who you said is the Gossip Girl girl? Yes. Um, And then we have Izzy, uh, who's Melissa Escobedo. And then... Uh, Cassie Trask, who is played by Lila Buckingham, and um, I don't know these kids, but I thought they were good. You know, I thought they They're did. Fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. This did feel, and this is weird for me to say because I don't, I shouldn't be making this statement, have, not having enough experience with it. But they did feel kind of like 
stock Disney Channel characters. Am I right? No, they or did. No, they did. You're right. Um, yeah, they. This this film was very, very Disney, and that honestly, that's what I was afraid of. But that, don't get me wrong; that does not say anything about my ultimate feelings on the movie mm-hmm. because that that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it is exactly what I thought it was going to yeah. be when I heard Disney was the one doing it. I. I think my favorite descriptor for this film um, came from a friend of ours that basically said, this is like Hocus Pocus fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it was almost like a parody. Yeah, well, I mean, this movie kind of did to itself what we would probably do to the first film, um, which um, I don't want to uh, paint the picture that the first Hocus Pocus is some sort of anything but perfect masterpiece of cinema um, with absolutely zero flaws. But we would sit there and, um, like, when Joseph and I watched Highlander, uh, whenever he showed me Highlander the first for the first time, we sat there and laughed and mocked it and made jokes, but we also, you know, loved the film. Oh, um, yeah. And this movie was, just... The funny I, about that, I, we were, I was married at the time, and my wife at the time was just like... I thought you liked this movie. I was like, I do. <laughs> I we do. Fun of it. <laughs> yeah. We do. We are also pointing not out how like, stupid um, this is. Not to compare this to Hallmark, but you know, kind of like what I do with Hallmark. I could sit there and pick apart and make fun of the movie, but yeah. do I like it? And am I enjoying the crap out of myself? Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's also like you know, Star Trek fandom. At least before Star Trek went woke, you know, not like it went woke from 1966, but you know, you can sit there and watch something you love and laugh and joke and make fun of the flaws. Oh, yeah, that's easy, yeah. especially with Star Wars, any of it. Yeah, I think that's where like guilty pleasure comes from, even though I hate the term guilty pleasure, even though you know, I'm not saying Star Trek 5 is a good movie. But that is probably one of the closest times I would actually get to use the term guilty pleasure. But I, I always believe if you like something, you like it. Just, it doesn't matter what it is. You know? That's why I hold things like The Godfather and Seventh Seal in the same, with the same amount of love I would for Sleepaway Camp or um, something equally as stupid as Sleepaway Camp. I just Sleepaway can't camp think two. of yeah, Sleepaway <laughs> Camp 2. I, I couldn't think of something. Uh, three is pushing it. Three is literally pushing it. <laughs> but what do we think about the adult characters, uh, particularly uh, Gilbert the Great? He's he was fine through the whole thing. I thought he worked for his part. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. Gilbert was my favorite of the new characters. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I agree. I, really I genuinely loved his character. <laughs> I thought he was probably one of the best new things that they did. And yet he was very, very Disney, but in a good way. Like it, it kind of worked. It worked. Yeah. And I loved uh, whenever um, they raise Billy from whenever he basically raises Billy from the dead, even though he's basically just been sitting there bored in his coffin since 1993. (laughs) I love the play between those two characters. So, do you want to address the elephant in the room now, Sammy? Now that we brought up Billy? Okay, yes. What is with 
Billy the Pirate. Okay. You have to remember, they lit, whenever he was alive, it was what we like to call ye olden times. Probably, I would say, late 1600s. They immigrated over from England, so he would have a bit of a still British accent. The gruffness is the fact that he had been dead for about 300 years. <laughs> so it did but come out a little pirate. Is Billy actually spoke in the first film? So that was my issue with it because a lot of people think about it and they're like, oh, we've never heard Billy's voice. No, Billy spoke in the first film. But wasn't it just like one line? Didn't, yeah, it, and just it didn't like, thank sound you? like that. Well, they also didn't think they were going to have a sequel. That's very true. It's called <laughs> continuity, folks. He had been sitting down there in his coffin for 30, for 30 odd years without a drink of water. There was a frog in his throat. <laughs> okay, studying Jack Sparrow? I, it doesn't come across pirate to me. It comes across as Doug Jones trying to mix a British accent with what would a zombie sound like? It would probably, it's not going to have a smooth human voice. So it, it's a flub, but it's, it's one I'm going to give the movie. It didn't bother me. Yeah. It didn't bother me. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. But no, it, to me, it made sense. Uh, to me, having a smooth golden voice saying thank you at the end of the, of the first film is where we should be having the issues. I'm like, no, he wouldn't sound like that. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Mayor Trask, who is the descendant of Reverend, uh, of Reverend Trask, who was the one who banished the Sanderson sisters from uh, the village, played by Tony. I play the same character, Hale. Yeah, he is the same character and everything. I mean, I mean, he does that character very well. But th okay, um, if like his character in Arrested Development, Job, and his character in Veep are like the A level, he didn't try here. But also, he wasn't given much to do. <laughs> I really mean, uh, a majority of his film of of his uh, story in this movie was standing in line waiting for a caramel apple. <laughs> I hope whatever the paycheck was for Tony Hale was, I hope he got the convertible he was looking for. I'm, a sh I'm sure he did. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, y'all. That, that caramel apple was very important. It, it better have been the best caramel apple ever. That apple better have cured cancer. <laughs> and of course uh, you know uh, we since you are like bringing up new characters and the male characters can we talk about really quick why all of the male characters in this film had to be stupid that's a disney trope also have you met men we're not the well, best i know but like they really fell into that trap of well, women well, empowerment means men must be dumb but here's the thing, not all of them were dumb. I would not say that Billy nor even Gilbert were dumb. Uh, no. Gilbert, Gilbert made a dumb decision, but I wouldn't he say let he his fandom get in the way of reality. Yeah, but Billy I wouldn't was definitely say definitely the smartest. Well, yeah. Well, oh wait, and the professor who sent who uh, gave them a pop quiz, I, I would say maybe he's the third smartest. Okay, that's fair. But honestly, I've met teenage boys, and don't get me wrong, they're dumb. 
but I refuse to believe that most of them are that stupid. Oh, I think it was a way to write a stereotypical, what we would consider bully character and make him not realize he's a bully. So that way you could have him having, <coughs> I actually as did close like to, as close to a shitty opinion as you could get away with in this movie and not draw ire and make him sort of redeemable in the end. Mostly to set him up for Hocus Pocus 3. I actually did enjoy his character pretty well, because at first I thought I was going to hate his character. Yeah, But then when he had that that epiphany, I was just like, he's a lovable moron. He doesn't want to be mean. Oh oh my god, I have so many people to apologize to. (laughs) That that was probably my favorite part, where he's like, I'm not never making fun of you, I just point out she was point out that I'm weird and did I do this? He goes, yeah, because I think it's weird. Pointing yeah. it out is making fun of me. He's like, seriously? I thought I was just making conversation. <laughs> I, I, lo- I really did enjoy his character, actually. Yeah, yeah and, and they were fine. And, you know, but we, we have also made an entire industry out of the dumb guy movie. So, Well, and they're supposed to be jocks, like the stereotypical yeah. dumb jocks. Also, um, whenever I was in high school... The jocks were also on the honor roll. So, just to point <laughs> also, same. it's a movie. <laughs> That's just that Disney trope. Or I know. trope in general. Yeah. Um, another new character who I hate that we only got one scene with her was with was the mother witch, played by Hannah Waddingham. Does yeah, anyone she... know who does anyone know who she is? Not a clue. No. Nope. Okay. Y'all have both seen her in one show, and I have been yelling at y'all to watch her in another show. Uh, y'all have seen her as the lady who was walking behind Cersei in Game of Thrones, ringing a bell, yelling shame. Oh, wow. I did not realize that was her. Wow. But, yeah, But how she's best known now is she is the club owner for the football team that Ted Lasso coaches. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And that's partly why... I, uh, wish there was more of her because Ted Lasso 3 has still not happened yet and I'm not happy with that. So, <laughs> But I would have loved the Mother Witch to return at the end because I think honestly, because this movie does have a post credit scene setting up another Black Flame Candle, but what I would love is Hocus Pocus 3 to actually be about the Mother Witch and the relationship with this new coven that we get at the end of the movie. Yeah, I have to say one of the things that I really liked that they did with this is true to the uh, first film where they kind of did a little bit of a backstory and then they jump forward in time. I really liked that we got a backstory for the witches. Mm, that that I was, that cool. was a and, really smart choice. Yeah. Also, child actress casting was spot on. Yeah, it was really good. I actually thought it was one of the best parts of the film. Yeah, they, they were really good. Um, I wish Tony Hale's character was better. Like, he could have... I, And I know this is, you know, the Disney dumb male, especially dumb adult male thing, but I've just seen Tony Hale play a much better version of the milk toast guy, and he's been so much better. It was kind of, it was kind of a waste of Tony Hale. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, but it 
I, I don't know. That's one of those differences between just like a good movie and a, and a great <laughs> film. He's a sidebar character that was just kind of there. Yeah, well, I mean, you gotta remember. All right, one one of the times that annoyed me about him was uh, when uh, Becca and Izzy were talking to him about Cassie and the birthday ritual, which, by the way, points to this entire community for letting these uh, young girls dabble with witchcraft and not like burn them at the stake. But then again, Salem has bad uh, history with that. So, but uh, him laughing hysterically about his daughter bringing 10 flashlights uh, to, you know, one of the rituals in the woods. And it's just like, that wasn't funny. It wasn't a joke. You're just laughing at words. All right. I think it's time to move into our segment. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I don't think we have much more to. (laughs) We can usually just stretch it out here. Alrighty, so for those who have forgotten, or um, if this is your they first They haven't episode, forgotten, they just heard Carlito's <laughs> way. We've forgotten. <laughs> um, or if this is your first episode, um, welcome. And We're sorry. Interesting choice. Um, we, this is the part of the, uh, this is the part of the show where we um, have segments. And our first one that we always start with is, uh, did John like the soundtrack? Okay, so there's not much of a soundtrack, and there's this part of part of this that I almost wanted to save for um, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, because there's something I want to say that is going to be close to um, blasphemy. But it the soundtrack as a whole was fine. There's not much. I mean, there was like a B-52 song, a remix of uh, Somebody's Watching Me. Uh, one cool discovery I found was um, after, you know, once it kind of cuts from the title to the opening of the film, they play a song called Skeleton Sam. It's by this uh, group called Lovecraft, which is spelled Lovecraft with no vowels. And they kind of do pop, you know, kind of poppier music, but with like a horror kind of spooky slant. It was a really cool discovery. So. I ended up really liking that song, but um, as a whole, I, I wouldn't own this. I just found the Lovecraft album and downloaded that. <laughs> and the, this, it wasn't one of my favorite B-52 songs either. So, yeah. It's, it's neither a yes or a no. It's just a, yeah. It's there. Yeah. We'll get into something else in Good, Bad, and the Ugly. All right. Well, we kind of we kind of covered our uh, next segment a little bit earlier in the show. Not yeah. exactly, but um, so Joseph, do you have the uh, Rotten Tomatoes scores? I do. Okay, I'm curious because I managed to print everything off and not see this. Also, because I wasn't looking for a Roger Ebert okay. review for this one. <laughs> so critics, I'm thinking better than the first one, but. Still not good. So I'm going to go with like a 51. Okay. All right. I'm going to go a little higher. I, you know, critics are not going to be kind to this movie, but also I think we have a lot of critics, you know, in our age range that did grow up on this movie, recognize this movie for what it is. I'm going to go with a 68. 
All right. Well, John was the closest. Oh. It actually has a 63. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, it has a 63 with like a hundred, like almost 150 reviews. It's not bad. Nice. Yeah. Not bad at all. Um, for fans, I don't know. Most people I know have been kind of split on it, but I'm going to assume it's higher, but still not great. So I'm going to go with like a 74. Okay. That was literally the number I was going to go with. So now I have to rethink my strategy. Uh, I'm going to, you know what? There's a lot of twin. There's a lot of millennials with Disney plus accounts. That would take the time to make a Rotten Tomatoes review. <laughs> so I'm going to say like an 81. Y'all are way off. Okay. It actually Higher or lower? Lower. Oh. It's at a 51%. Holy shit. Critics Ouch. have this movie better than audiences? What mm-hmm. is this? Halloween ends? Okay. Actually, when we get to the, um, when we get to the segment, um, whether or not we survived i'm gonna actually tell y'all why i think this is okay so do we want to do bechdel test or do we just want to go with foregone conclusion uh foregone conclusion this isn't almost entirely female based yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's just like we can name two male characters we have gilbert we have billy and we have girl's boyfriend (laughs) And does this, the question is, does this meet the reverse Bechdel test? What is the reverse Bechdel test? Two men in the film talking about something other than a woman. I mean, technically, yes, because Gilbert and Billy, uh, Billy did spend a good chunk of time pointing out that he was a good zombie. So I'd say that counts. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if this counts or not, but. Uh, the mayor did spend an awful lot of time talking about a caramel apple. So that's fair. Yeah. Okay, he, so he I'm did, assuming he did describe this uh, apple as life changing. Clearly, which he I has believe the had... only. I think the only person who can say an apple was life changing was Eve. Um, clearly, <laughs> he's never had the Mexican apple pie at um, Cantina Laredo. That is true, but also that's a pie. Um, so John, since, um, Roger Ebert is no longer with us, I'm assuming you don't have, uh, his review, but maybe you have something from his website. I actually do. Uh, Nell Minow, who, uh, is a writer for RogerEbert.com, gives the movie three and a half stars. Roger is probably turning over in his grave. Uh, <laughs> said nearly 30 years later hocus pocus 2 should make fans of all generations happy paying tribute to the original and adding some gentle updating and some welcome diversity subtracting some violence and is and it is also a little bit sweeter um clearly she did not get the memo from the rest of the critics no remember critics is sort of like this um yeah it was the audience that was down yeah more than the, the critics were I wonder if the critics were like watching the audience reaction going, what the fuck? We gave you, we were nice to this one. <laughs> we took the, uh, the the first one out behind a shed and beat it. <laughs> also, Which just makes I, I, absolutely no sense whatsoever, but I uh, digress. It makes a little bit of sense to me, but also we do have to remember, and I am not trying to speak ill of the dead, but Gene Siskel is dead. Roger Ebert is dead. Gene Shallot is dead. 
Pauline Kale is dead, and Leonard Martin doesn't probably know this movie exists. <laughs> and if he does, he probably doesn't care. Leonard Malton is on a T- Turner Classic Movies cruise right now with a Mai Tai in his hand, waiting to talk for 45 minutes about Sweet Smell of Success. That's, that's <laughs> where Leonard Malton is. All right. Well, I guess we can move on to our next segment. Um, do we have anything for best line, worst line? I mean, I think we're all in agreement that maybe the best line in this movie uh, was probably, I have so many people to apologize to. Like, that, that is... <laughs> that is and, my favorite. Uh, yeah, that, and of course, you know, uh, that's right, Salem, we're back is probably this movie's You Can't Handle the Truth. Yes. And I'm not going to sit here and uh, lie that it's not the opening uh, sound clip to this episode. <laughs> just just saying that now. Uh, but well, do we we're have not one to shy that's... away from a cliche here, so. Yeah. But do we have anything that qualifies? I mean... I'm sure if we went back and watched this movie one more time with like pen and paper, we could have like probably a dozen worse lines. I mean, oh my gosh, yes. I mean, an adult called a, a caramel apple life changing. That there was a gut laughter, a wheezing laughter about ten flashlights. I think, uh, I think we can just go by by that by default. <laughs> yeah. What you you don't think this the screenplay was written in gold, forged in granite from Mount Olympus? No, <laughs> no, okay, not in the slightest. Are you saying there's flaws, Joseph? Are you willing to go on the internet and say anything remotely negative about this film? Absolutely. Okay, <laughs> good. We're going down together. <laughs> Sammy's just scowling well, at us. On that topic, I think it's time for the good, bad, and the ugly. Starting with the good. Yeah. Like, what do, you got? do we want to? Do we want to get the good out of the way? Yes. Okay. 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 So for me, good. Um, we've we. I, I've obviously touched on um, Gilbert. I love the new character. I love the interplay between him and Billy. Uh, I love the casting of the young Sanderson sisters. I um, I, I even though I don't remember the the teen girl characters you know almost at all i know they never annoyed me like i enjoyed that kind of interplay even though a good chunk of the reason one of them was away from the other other two is the surviving chick flicks cliche of can y'all just have a conversation for like two seconds I really want to try that caramel apple. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm like, I would love to know what a life-changing candy apple is. Yes. Um, yeah. I also do like uh, the, the fact that they use some actual uh, magic rituals he- here, uh, like particularly involving the salt to contain the black magic um, before this movie became a, an X-Men movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, um, more, more Hanny, Hannah Waddingham. And like, if we do with Hocus Pocus 3, bring her back for more. I would echo a lot of the same things you said. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, the good for me, I, I thought the Sanderson sisters all did a good job. They were, it was like they never left the first movie. Uh, I really liked the, the Jock boyfriend character. Uh, I think he stole the show for me a little bit. And I did like the new character Gilbert. It was uh, Billy Butcher. He was 
of course, like I said, how can you not love Doug Jones anytime he's in something? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Doug, Doug Jones is the best part of the funniest movie I've ever seen. That's very true. I didn't care for Star Trek Discovery. He was great in it. I can't fault him for his work. Like I said, it, like it's, all, everybody's pretty good, so yeah. can't complain on that. Um, I can't, you know, I can't really think of anything else other than what I mentioned. I really liked the start of the film. I liked how they gave them a backstory because that was something not missing from the first film, but something that we didn't know about. Um, and was was a bit of a callback. And I liked that since they chose to do the film this way, since they chose to kind of make it sort of a parody of itself, the film didn't take itself too seriously. It didn't try and be something it wasn't. It did not try and be the first film. It was its own thing. And I think that that's what made it work. So are we ready for the part where the internet comes for me? Sure. Possibly people on the show as well. Our Take friends. The plunge, John. Okay. <clears throat> I know for a lot of this film, you have to accept the logic of the uh, world you're thrust into. And this was a criticism I heard levied at, at the first film, and it is one of those. Yes, it is stupid to point this out. Like how how does this long dead witch? suddenly know the lyrics I put a spell on you. But you put Bette Midler in a movie, especially a Disney movie, make her sing. And I'm going to give this movie the conceit, the, uh, the, eh, you did fine doing it with uh, one way or another uh, whenever they were doing that one. I hate, I detest, and I cringe every time I heard the witches are back because the bitch is back is one of my favorite Elton John songs. And to hear it here, G D Disney fight and G rated just sent. I mean, it was cool to get those three women together who, who can, who are all singers in their own right. I mean, there's not a Sarah Jessica Parker album, but we know she can sing. We know Kathy and Jimmy has done stuff. It was great to hear them singing together, but it was just like I hate that I hated that song so much, and I was like I don't know if I want to say this on the internet. <laughs> no, they definitely should have cut it. They should have yeah. put something else there. Also, um, this isn't necessarily a good or a bad or an ugly. This is just thing I kind of wish we had gotten more of. But it would also be a, a cool idea for a Hocus Pocus prequel movie or series. I would love to know the missing years between whenever they were little girls to became the fierce, vicious, you know, Sanderson sisters, you know, to be feared. Like, like I want to see those years. I want to see Disney's The Witch. <laughs> Which, by the way, and that was a joke mostly for Joseph, but uh, I got a lot of, did y'all just walk onto the set of The Witch? Was it still standing? Yeah, and see, that's the part of the bad for me. Uh, I thought the setting was, the set design and everything was good on that part, but I did not like the opening of this movie. I oh, thought I, terrible. I, I did kind of like some of the interplay between uh, adult 
between Reverend Th- Thacker, or whatever the hell, Trask, whatever the hell his name is, between Tony Hale and uh, young Winifred, uh, especially whenever uh, he kind of low-key insults the, the guy he's trying to get her married to. Yeah, like, he did. Like, like that was funny, but he lost his mind over, and that and that goes back to my criticism that I've already kind of hammered into the ground at this point. This was a waste of Tony Hale. It was a waste of Tony Hale. I thought it was just not a. I didn't think it was very extremely necessary. No, I, I just thought, and if they were going to do it, they could have done it a lot better. Yeah, uh, it was but, no, nothing against any of the actors. I just don't think it was really well written out or anything like that. I was just. It's kind of pointless, and it's weird that the 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 screenplay that we that was written by Mick Garris is the one that we're uh, giving heaping the most praise on to. <laughs> but that that's the one that because when it first started, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to hate this. This uh, this is not starting out good. But after it got off of that, it's it got better. Yeah, it it did feel like Disney Channel TV movie, and. Um, that- I think I had a hard time with it. It felt like it was I was watching a Disney Channel movie that yeah. was just, it was stuck on Disney yeah. Channel, but that's nobody else wanted to give it a chance. But it was a Disney Channel movie that could afford Bette Midler. True, right? Which, by the way, I could not find the budget information for this film. <laughs> so, and um, you know what could have fixed that? You know what could have fixed it? What original freaking cast? And that's my bad. And I'm I'm gonna elaborate that on that in our final segment. But that's I, that's my opinion. Uh, for the opening, for the opening, I will amend my not bringing back a certain character because he's clearly an adult. But recast young version of that character, I will give you the mulligan of the opening. But for the remainder of the movie, I don't give that to you. <laughs> also, what is the grown-up cast going to be in this movie other than the parents? Which there's only one parent in this movie, and I hated him. <laughs> there's a there's a whole there's a I'll get into it, but there's a lot of ways they could have done it. Yeah, the um, the cream five or five cream. Yeah. See, I I had always heard that Bette Midler said she would come back for a ver- for a sequel as long as it was the right version. And to not to spoil the answer to another question, this was the best version, or did they just put the right amount of zeros on a check? Yes. I'm going to go with they put the right amount of zeros on a check. Yeah, because I feel like this is the, if we just give Leo the Oscar now, the internet will shut up moment. <laughs> you know what happens when you try to appease the internet, making them shut up? They don't, they never shut up. <laughs> So, do we have anything else, or are we ready to answer the big question? Because now I think we're ready to answer I am, the big question. I am more than curious now <laughs> how everyone's going to land. But Joseph, Sandy, Sammy, nearly called you the wrong name, Sammy. <laughs> Did you survive Hocus Pocus too? Joseph, why don't you go first? Because I've got a soapbox. <laughs> oh, oh God. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> After I was like halfway through this, I was like, this is fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just fine. I, like I said, I, like there's some good points to it. I enjoyed some of the certain parts. There was even parts I kind of chuckled. But uh, like I said, whenever <clears throat> this is uh, this is probably going to be terrible. I'm not looking forward to this. 
but like you said, it gets better. I kind of have the same feeling as it was the original. I think the original's just, it's okay. It, I don't hate it, don't love it, and I and I and I owned it on Blu-ray. So uh, if this one comes to Blu-ray, I'll probably have it on Blu-ray as well. But like I said, so it, I survived. It was okay. Sammy, can I go next? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I'm going to pull a Sammy here. And I'm going to think about who I am and also the movie that we got. Is this a movie that I'm ever going to watch again on my own with no with no one around me saying, <laughs> hey, let's, uh, you know, watch Hocus Pocus 2? And the answer is a resounding, no, I'm never going to watch this movie again. Unless it's like, a, this is a movie that if, we were all getting together for Halloween and someone said, hey, let's marathon the two Hocus Pocus movies. I'm not going to bitch. That being said, and, and there are parts of this movie that I, I enjoyed. There, I, I thought it was mostly well cast. I, I think some characters did very good jobs. But at the end of the day, this is not the worst movie. This is not even close to one of the worst movies I've seen this year. But I'm going to edge on the... Just barely not recommend, not survive, just because it felt so much like pointless fan service, and there were so there were enough moments that made me roll my eyes or cringe that I'm just like I don't know if I just want to put a stamp of approval. Like it's not a horrible film. It it's just not what I'm going to watch again. Like I could see. I have watched The Choice since our episode. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) Willingly. (laughs) But I just don't see myself outside of like a group setting ever like going back to this one on my own. The first one I probably would and have watched on my own. And I often think, God, Sammy and our friends, this is what they did to me. (laughs) So... So I mean, it, it, like I said, it's not a terrible film. It's just I don't, I don't care enough to ever come back to this one on my own. So, so now I am so curious where this is going. Um. Okay. So, um, I am gonna kind of like, I'm gonna get the actual answer out of the way first. As a person, um, on this podcast who probably loves the first movie the most, mm-hmm. um, yes, I did survive. Um, mainly. Because I was not as disappointed as I anticipated being. Um, can I can I ask a question real quick? Yes. All right. So there's a fence that divides survive and not survive. I'm like barely on the other side of the fence. Okay. Are we? I was like, are, could we touch? Could we like hold our hands up on touch the fence? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm barely on the other side of the fence. Um, but. And, and like I said, mainly because I'm not as disappointed as I anticipated being. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you why. This movie falls strongly, strongly, strongly into the girl meets world category for me. So growing up, boy meets world, probably like my favorite television show growing up. I loved that show. I still love that show. And when I was, whenever it came out, I don't know, sometime in my 20s, when Girl Meets World came out, of course I was excited to watch it because it's a reboot, it's a sequel of, of my favorite show as a kid. And did I watch every episode? Yes. But did 
did they do to it what I was terrified they were going to do to it? Yes, they Disney-fied it. Um, the benefit, like, what Hocus Pocus the original was, what Boy Meets World the original was, they were more mature. They were for more, like, they were darker. They were more serious. They were just, they were more well-made than Disney films are now. I kind of want to touch on this real quick. Um, have you ever gone back and watched, like, Disney live-action movies from, like, the 60s through the 80s? No. Okay. Um, a lot of them were a lot, especially, like, the genre stuff, like, um, Black Hole and Blackbeard's Ghost, and, um, oh, there's a, there's a couple that are essentially horror movies. Uh, I mean, they, and they're still Disney, and they're still family-friendly, but they had more of an edge. And it's weird that as time has gone on, Disney has lost a lot of that edge. It's lost a ton of its edge. It's made parents, it's made it, and it did it in this film too. It's made adults dumb for some, for some reason it's, it's fallen into that trope. And if well, you've ever seen like Disney channel shows today, they do the, they do the same thing, but This is the one thing I noticed and why Girl Meets World was not that successful. Because it took a show that was beloved by a previous generation and it tried to make it relevant to the current generation. Well, the problem was the current generation did not have a love and it was not nostalgic for them. And then the older generation, you kind of ruined what they loved about it. And that was the same thing this was. The only time that Girl Meets World was actually successful and good is when they had the original characters on yeah like when they when they, more than just like Corey and Topanga when they brought back Sean and when they brought back his parents that was the kind of fan service that actually worked and I think had they really like to me what this film was is everybody really wants us to make Hocus Pocus too so we need to just make it and they yeah. didn't put a lot of thought in how they could do it well it's not necessarily that they had to bring back the original characters I think it would have been better if they had but it would have been better if they had made it a darker storyline, if they had done a better job thinking it through. And okay, like, so sort of what they did with the iCarly reboot. I haven't seen that. Well, from my understanding, it was a little bit more, since they were adults, they made it a little more adult. Right, because your audience is adults now. Yeah. Also, I don't want to stick up for Disney necessarily, but in, in their defense, uh, if you watch enough horror movies, adults are dumb all the time. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is, you've got to pay attention to who your audience is. Your audience is late 20 or mid 20 to mid 30, 30s, and the children they are forcing to watch this, that is that is primarily your audience. So... To make to Disneyfy it too much, I I I think is kind of a mistake, and I think that they could have benefited from uh, making it a little darker. And I and also I think Scream is a prime example. If there's nothing wrong with making a transitional film and transitioning the the story into a new era with new characters, I think that's great. But what Scream did right with that is they took the old characters and they used them to transition the story. And I think they could have done that with this. If there's any number of, of ways they could have brought back Danny and I forget uh, her brother's name's escaping me. Whatever the kid's name is. There's 
a lot of ways they could have brought them back and used them to transition the story into this new age of kids. Okay. I mean, I mean, that's fair. I mean, that's, that's just my opinion. <clears throat> no, I, I kind of tend to agree with a lot of what you said. Yeah. <clears throat> that's really what it reminded me of. All right. So not the worst, not the best. A thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so, um, if you saw the Facebook post, um, we are going to start putting a little bit more gaps in between episodes. Not not the gaps that y'all are used to, but a new gap that makes <laughs> life easier on us. Uh, but we're going to go kind of to an every other week kind of model for episodes. And next week, uh, we, ju- we just lost Loretta Lynn at the age of um, 90. Was she 90 or was she like older than that? Anyway, well, I'll have that corrected by next week. Uh, but um, we're going to do a film that I have had in my voodoo collection for years and haven't. I and none of us have seen it. But we're going to be talking about the um, film Coal Miner's Daughter, starring Sissy Spacek and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. It's the story of Loretta Lynn, and uh, I think this is going to be an interesting one. So, does right. anybody have anything they want to shout out? I, I got nothing. Sammy, have you gone to McDonald's and gotten the Halloween uh, buckets? No, I haven't. They have Halloween buckets. Oh, you didn't know the buckets are back? No. Yeah, the Halloween bucket. Guess I need to go to McDonald's now. Yeah. See, I'm not going to because you want to know why? You want to know why? Someone has his originals from the 80s. Oh, my God. <laughs> But did you have anything you wanted to shout out? No, I'm good. Yeah, and I, you know what, we've kind of gone kind of long on this one. I there are thing, things I could shout out or mention, but I'm just gonna abstain this week. So, listeners, thank y'all for thank y'all for putting up with us, and uh, hopefully the new schedule is gonna make things a little bit more regular, kind of like you know pr- with prunes. <laughs> we'll just keep churning one out on a or, regular basis, or just. Having a steady diet of activity. Yeah. yeah. Well, happy Halloween, everyone. Thank y'all for listening. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Surviving Chick Flicks is brought to you by the Circle of Jug. The show is edited by John, and all clips used are the property of their copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show. If there's anything you would like us to cover on the show, or just drop us a line at survivingchickflicks at gmail.com. The show is copyright 2022, Circle of Jug Productions, all rights reserved. You are our idols. Idols? (laughs) My favorite word.